uh, sola scriptura, which means that we uh, believe that the scriptures alone are, are the authority and uh, the, the way that God has made himself known to us. So before we look into God's word, it seems uh, fitting that we sing about that. Hymn number 146, Break Thou the Bread of Life. When I was growing up, we knew this song. It seemed like it was always a communion hymn because we were breaking bread. It's really not that. The bread of life is talking about God's word, as you'll see as we sing it. Let's sing it, uh, number 146. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 21, again, looking this morning at verses 28 to 32, Matthew 21. This morning we have a very brief little text, 
So I thought I could probably get away by singing six or seven hymns. We're in a section of Matthew's Gospel in which Jesus told several short parables. Some commentators and preachers uh, noticing similarities in these uh, parables have just lumped all of them together and that became one sermon, albeit a long one. I don't think that's necessary. Being similar does not mean that you have no distinctives. These parables have distinctives. Jesus told several parables because he had several things to say. And so we're going to study each one, listen to what God says, albeit this morning probably a little bit briefer. <clears throat> Having said all that, there's a second reason that I want, wanted to study this text. This parable is about a man who had two sons. My father and my mother had two sons. And I remember my mother frequently telling me this parable, which only appears in the book of Matthew. It's not like it's in all the Gospels. It's a fairly short pa passage in Matthew. So I'm interested to be reminded all these years later what she might have been trying to say to me when she told me this again and again and again. Let me read the text. We'll try to figure it out. Verse 28, Matthew 21, 28. What do you think? Jesus is talking. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said, to the, said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did, his, did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, that is the Jewish leaders he's talking to, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So says Jesus. I think this text has two simple things to teach you. It's very, it's very simple, straightforward. The first is this. God expects obedience. God expects obedience. We live in a society where talk is cheap and promises are quickly broken. So we often find ourselves longing for straight answers. But in the midst of all the double talk and delay, things never seem to get done. That concerns us. And God has the same concern. Jesus explains this to us in his parable. There are two sons. The father comes to one and tells him to go work in the vineyard. And he refuses. No, sir, I will not. The father says to the other son, go to work in the vineyard. And he says, yes, sir, I will. But he doesn't do what the father told him to do. The son who refused repented changed his mind and went and did what the father said. But the son who said yes and pleased his father with his words disobeyed him in his actions and never went to work. So Jesus puts the question to the Jewish leaders, which one pleased the father? The one who said yes or the one who obeyed? 
Of course, they admit it was the obedient one who pleased the Father. So what was Jesus' point? These leaders were like the son who said yes, but never obeyed. We might say these leaders were God's yes people. They, 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 they studied God's word. They were people of the word. They memorized it. They, they figured out how it applied to the whole nation. They were pious people, these leaders, known by the whole Jewish uh, nation as holy men. They were meticulous in their law keeping. They were in charge of the people's worship. They provided for the temple. Their life revolved around the temple life. The ones who were priests actually performed the worship rites. Everything about them shouted to the world, we are those that say yes to the Lord. But when it counted, they did not obey the Lord. Just as he promised through Isaiah, God sent John, calling the nation to repentance in preparation for the Messiah's coming. But these yes men did not believe for one moment that John was sent from God. He may have called others to repentance, but they did not need to repent. Even when these leaders saw lives changed by John's preaching, they scoffed at it. And then John introduced Jesus, introduced him as the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, introduced him as the Lamb of God here who's going to take away the sins of the world, introduced him as the one who John said, I'm not worthy to even untie his shoes, introduced him as the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit, as the one who would bring judgment, this Jesus. But the leaders hated Jesus. They hated that he had the, the allegiance of the people. They hated that he cared about the misfits and the public sinners. They hated that he disregarded their petty interpretations of the law. They hated that he confronted their hypocrisy. And so they were not about to obey anything Jesus said or anything John had said about Jesus. But God expects obedience. In fact, God has always expected obedience. I think of King Saul in the Old Testament. You only got into trouble because the Lord told him to, through Sam, the prophet Samuel to go and destroy the enemies of God. And uh, he did that, but then he brought back all the spoils of the battle and uh, tried to buy God off with all these great sacrifices he was bringing rather than doing what God said. And the prophet announced to him, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. It was true in Isaiah's day. We read about it in Isaiah 1. God said he was sick and tired of the people's offerings and sacrifices. He was sick and tired of the so-called worship in the courts of the temple. He was sick and tired of the special feast days and Sabbath days. He was sick and tired of their offerings and their prayers. God said, stop, stop, I hate all this. I want willing obedience not resistant rebellion. God expects obedience. And this is still true today. God is concerned with our practice, not just our profession. There's an interesting note here. Notice that obedience equates to faith in these verses. 
In the parable, the difference between the, the two sons was their obedience or lack of obedience. But when Jesus applied the, this to these religious leaders, down in verse 32, the issue was whether these sons had believed or not believed. This teaches us an important lesson. Obedience flows from faith. One who recognizes and believes the authority of the Father will, whether he feels like it or not, obey the Father. Or as Jesus said in another place, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you won't do what I say? Jesus says, in effect, your disobedience in response to John, in response to me now, proves your lack of faith. For unbelief yields the fruit of disobedience. But faith obeys. I challenge you this morning. Talk is cheap. Faith is easy to claim. But God will not let us think that we believe if we don't obey. God expects obedience, which is the fruit of faith. That's the first lesson. That's the second truth in this parable, and that is that God's kingdom may surprise you. God's kingdom may surprise you. Basic to our Christian experience is the fact that Christ sends us to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, to share the gospel, to call them to repent and follow him. But realistically, we already have some idea of who might believe and be saved and who will not ever change. We kind of know already, don't we? I did. I think of two guys back in my flying days, two pilot friends, to whom I tried to be faithful to witness, two unbelievers. The one was a wild man. He lived fast and hard. He was foul-mouthed. He was the worst kind of womanizer. He was crude in every way. He loved speed. He crashed everything he drove, his car, his truck, his motorcycle, his boat. He tried to crash an airplane, didn't intend to, just was stupid, got grounded for it. And when I tried to share the gospel with him, he put in a porn movie instead. The other guy was much closer to the kingdom. He was a gentleman, he acted like an adult, he was responsible, a good husband, good father. He went to church, not a gospel preaching church, but at least he went to church. So my hopes were high. This man was this close to the kingdom, this close to becoming a true believer. <laughs> How wrong I was. Fast forward a couple of years and the crude wild man is talking to the commander of this whole huge unit, talking to him about the faith, challenging the commander, well, why don't you read your Bible instead of all this other stuff that you read? Meanwhile, the morally upright man hasn't changed a bit. I mean, why would he? He was morally upright. When I talked to him last, he had just been entertained by being at church 
the day before. They had clown church at his church. Everybody dressed up like a clown. Oh, it was just great. Best church service ever. You see, you cannot tell up front who will believe and follow Christ. God's kingdom may surprise you. But the Jewish leaders were quite confident that they could tell. They knew where people stood before God. They had many objective indicators of someone's faith. They themselves were the standard of righteousness. They also knew who was outside the kingdom. The prostitutes, for example, the epitome of moral corruption, driven by their own sinful passions, corrupting others as they went, and doing it all for money or as uh, temple prostitutes. And of course, then there's the tax collectors, swindlers, robbing people of their money, traitors, cooperating with the pagan government against their own people. These public sinners were just like the first son, quickly refusing, I will not do what the father says. Surely none of those would have a place in God's kingdom. Oh, but we do not know God's purposes, do we? He calls whom he pleases. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. For God is, ex is pleased to extend his grace to the worst of sinners. Both sons in the parable were rebellious and defiant. The difference was that when the father spoke, calling them to serve him, the one, despite his initial defiance, recognized and believed the father's authority, and he repented. He turned around. And in faith, he started to obey the father's call. And so Jesus said to the self-righteous rulers, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw that, you did not repent and believe. Hmm. God's kingdom may surprise you. This morning, whatever your problem, no matter how stubbornly you have rejected God, no matter how you have turned a deaf ear to him, I call you to now hear his voice and turn around and follow Jesus. He does not require that you be good enough to earn his pleasure. He simply requires that you respond to his call with faith that obeys him. Two simple truths to unpack this text. God expects obedience. Faith obeys. And God's kingdom may surprise you. 
So when I was a child, why did my mother so frequently repeat this little parable to me? She never told me. She died at age 97. She never told me. I can think of some reasons, though, after having thought about it this week. She may have just wanted to impress on me the fact that true faith doesn't just talk. It walks. It obeys. She may have just wanted to make sure that I knew that no should never be our last word to God. When we've taken a wrong road, it's time to turn around and believe and obey. Or she may just have wanted to teach me that we don't write off sinners who need Jesus just because they look like sinners who need Jesus. God's more gracious than we might think. And the most important, my mother probably told me that parable so many times because she already perceived how quickly I tend to say yes and then deny that profession by my actions saying no. Maybe she picked up on that already when I was eight years old. I don't know. But thank you, Mom. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this little parable that just uh, impresses upon us that faith and obedience cannot be separated. And that impresses on us that you save sinners, not those who are worthy, not those who have earned your pleasure. Those are simple truths, Lord. Every Christian knows that, I think. But help us, Lord, to live according to it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.